Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to the Believe in Bingo podcast here on Valley Sports Ohio. This is the pre-draft show for the Cincinnati Bengals, and we're very fortunate to have on the show today with us the Cincinnati Bengals' number one overall pick in the 2003 draft, the former Heisman Trophy winner himself, Mr. Carson Palmer's in the house. Carson, how you doing today? Solo, doing great. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding me, man? We're excited to have you on this show. Um, look, I, I go back a long way. Maybe I'm telling my age a little bit. But I remember, you know, having grown up in Southern California myself, I remember the Bengals are getting ready for the 2003 draft. And I thought to myself, you got to take the kid from USC. There's no there's no one better. And they they pulled your name. They pulled your your uh, they drafted you with that first overall pick. Kind of take us back to what that day was like for you uh, when you knew you were going to be the first overall pick in the draft. Just exciting. I mean, first and foremost, it's 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 exciting, but it's such an interesting time of life because, you know, you you always dream of playing the NFL and, and draft day, and then it's then it's there and it happens, and and um, you know, it's it's like you know one of the many stepping stones that you see ahead. Um, so as exciting as it is, and you get you know you you're on a new team and you go into a new city and and in a new league you're just getting started. You, you better not celebrate too hard and too much. And I just remember that feeling of being there in the green room. There's all these guys, families and friends, and everybody's excited. And I just remember feeling like, all right, here we go. Because then I, as soon as you, you get drafted, you go out there on the stage, you do you know the radio, radio row, you hit all the spots, and then boom, you're to the airport and going to the new city. And as exciting as it is, it's also – there's a whole new um, – career starting in a new locker room you have to go and prove yourself to a new fan base you have to prove yourself to new organization coaches new playbook to learn uh you know there's so much new with it and so many challenges ahead um as exciting as that draft day is for everybody around you it's just it's just the first step and hopefully a long uh successful career and i I remember that feeling and that you know, it's a new weight. All of a sudden you, you get through college and you, you got through healthy and you got, you know, to the point where you got drafted. And now there's this new stress and this new weight on your shoulders, a new organization you're going to. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bittersweet moment because everybody around you is so excited, wants to party and, and celebrate. And you're like, man, I gotta get to work. Here we go. That's day right. one. So it, exactly it was an amazing right. experience. And, and um, you know, I, I watched the draft every year, excited for these guys, just knowing, you know, what's, what's ahead for them. I think it's a very special class of individual, any player who's taken with the first overall pick in the draft. Because typically you're going to one of the teams that didn't do so well in the years before. And now in this coming draft, it's either going to be, you know, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Um, and they're going to go to a team that didn't have a whole lot of success. So help us to understand what some of those pressures are like, or just trying to live up to those expectations, knowing that look, you got to be patient because the odds are stacked against you. One guy can't come in and turn around an organization. You're going to need a lot of help. But yet, it seems to be this expectation, particularly with a fan base, that if you're taken with that first overall pick, a lot is expected of you. Yeah, and and you know, to to what you're saying too, you know, you want the guy that thinks that there he's the missing piece. You want that confidence, that swagger, that you know. 
you know, you're, you know, you're a dumb kid that doesn't know anything yet. Right. And you're going in the real world, but you want that, that kid to think, all right, I'm the, I'm the reason they haven't the had success. I'm going to go in and I'm going to change it. And I'm going to flip that organization on its head and go in and turn it into a contender. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful because there is that, that pressure and, and that expectation and, and probably the expectations almost are always unrealistic when you talk about the first pick, especially, you know, off, off, you know, a team like Carolina or, or um, you know, Chicago who really struggled last year and aren't very good. And, and yeah. we all know guys like us with experience have been around long enough, you know, it's more than one player, but you want that kid to have that kind of swagger, that kind of energy, not a cocky energy, but mm-hmm. the kind of, the kind of energy that when he walks in the building, he walks around like he is the difference maker. And, and so as, as, as hard as it is to, to see some kid um, with, you know, a little too much swagger. There's been guys in the past that, you know, the Johnny Manziel's that you you want to stay away from and that, that kind of energy, but you want some sort of swagger of that guy now walking into that locker room of grown men that are in their thirties to want to follow and, and see that that guy is a leader at that young age. How much has the league changed since you were drafted with the first overall pick in 2003? Because I remember you in 2003, I think Patrick Mahomes in 2017, um, the Bengals didn't play you. They decided, hey, look, we're going to give him work on the side, in practice, every single day, every single week. But they decided to not play you. In fact, I don't think the team was ready (laughs) to to put you in there because there were a lot of missing pieces on that team. So you sat your entire rookie season in 2003, much in the same way like Patrick Mahomes sat during the entire 2017. So how much of that has changed um, even now today, where now they're more prone to just throw a guy in there regardless of, of the element or, or the team around? Yeah, well, I, I think the the way contracts are structured is really what changed that. Uh, the two CBA negotiations ago between the NFL Players Association and the league change contract duration. So when I came in the league, it was a seven-year contract with an eight-year option. Now it's a four-year contract, but really it's a three-year contract uh, with an option after that. And so you don't, from an organization standpoint, currently have time to let a guy sit and watch. Um, You've only got a couple of years before you need to decide, are we A, picking up the option, B, signing to a massive long-term extension, or C, cutting them? And so these organizations and ownership groups want want to see the product on the field. And so when they used to have seven years back in my day, when you had seven years to evaluate a quarterback to go with A, B, or C, yeah. you you had the uh, you had the opportunity to let that guy sit. Now you've really got two years, maybe three years, to decide if you're going to pay him early, like they did Kyler Murray and. Um, Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. or do you make him play every year that deal like you're seeing it play out with Lamar Jackson? And right. these are ownership groups and teams. They need film. They need watching this guy in games. And so you need to get that guy on the field as soon as possible to start that evaluation process. So, so you know, it's completely changed. I just don't see, you know, the opportunity for a top five quarterback to sit for an entire year with the way that the new uh, Players Association, uh, the new CBA is is constructed. Well, I got to tell you, I got a little confession to make. My last year with the Bengals was 1990. It was the game we were coming out. We played the Raiders. It was the Bo Jackson game. 
Remember, Bo was yeah. injured in that game, and unfortunately for him, he never played again. But that was my last game I played with the Bengals. Ended up leaving after that. Little did I know, Carson, that this team would go on a 15-year drought <laughs> since they would even see the playoffs again. And that was what your third season in 2005. It was your second year as a as a full-time starter, but it didn't take you any time to break the curse, so to speak. You took you took the Bengals to their first playoff. Uh, appearance in 15 years so you deserve a lot of credit for that and I don't think enough credit is ever given to you in terms of what you had to endure and how far you had to bring this team in such a short period of time but you were able to do that so help us to understand what that was like um you know in 2004 and 2005 during your early years first that first year not playing at all what it was like just sitting and watching and waiting and then once you got on the field you you had immediate success. You took off and the team kind of took off with you. Yeah, I mean, things things really came, um, you know, came together. Personnel-wise, um, we had an explosive offense. We had a really opportunistic defense that created tons of turnovers that got, got the ball back to the offense. And we were a pass-heavy offense that still had a really good running game, a phenomenal offensive line. So really, I mean, things came together at a time when, you know, the AFC North, that was – the, some of the best years uh, with with defensively um, with the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, th- those two teams were number one and number two in total defense and points allowed and third down percent. I mean, you you went through every ranking and it was one and two. So we, I think we really just shocked a lot of people with as good as those two teams were. And I mean, they went to three or four Super Bowls within right. five or six years. Um, so they were the dominant teams in the league, definitely in the AFC. And so I just think we caught people by surprise. Um, we had been really bad, like you said, for 15 years and a number of those 15 years, the Bengals had hardly won five games. So they were always, you know, picking at the top of the draft and it wasn't working out. Um, but really, I mean, I just think back to, to that team, it was a really good team. Um, as, as good as we were at, at, in the passing game, we were pretty balanced and we could run the, run the ball at the end of games and finish teams out. Our defense kept, you know, we had Tory Holt and Delph O'Neal at Delph O'Neal at corner who had, I don't know, it felt like five or six interceptions each. Um, so it was just, you know, things came together, um, good players that, that were, were hungry and desperate. And we felt that desperation from the fan base and the excitement from the fan base and, um, you know, I just remember that year being in the jungle and the sellout crowds and the intensity and electricity in there. And then comparing that to my first year there when it was like half full and <laughs> we could barely win a game. Um, and and just the excitement difference and electricity in the city um, for it to change that fast was so good to see. I mean, it's such an amazing football town, amazing history. Um, I mean, you look, I, I follow college football a lot more now. So I see there's guys coming out of, you know, coming out of the Midwest going, you know, and, you know, top of recruiting classes, you look across the board, there's always wow. a kid from Ohio or multiple kids from Ohio. So, I mean, it was just a football hungry state. Obviously the Cle- Cleveland Brown fan base is fantastic as well. And, and been through a lot as well. Um, but it was just an exciting time to be a Bengal. You know, I, I look at the Bengals now, I look at Joe Burrow and I just see so many, similarities between his game and yours not uh of course the fact that you guys are both first overall picks in your respective uh draft classes um you both played the quarterback position and was drafted by the Bengals same team 
same position, same jersey number. <laughs> did, yeah, did, yeah. Did, he, did he ever give you a call and get your permission to wear number nine? No. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. He looks a lot better in nine than I did. <laughs> it, it looks good on both of you guys. I, I gotta be. I gotta tell you. I mean, when you came in, you threw such a deep, a pretty ball. Uh, every single receiver, and I remember those early practices your rookie year. And uh, with all due respect to John Kitna, because he was the starter, when you stepped in there. Everyone was like, "Oh, oh, that's that's something different," you know. So it was it was just a clear cut above, and that kind of talent uh, is very hard to hide. Uh, just help us to understand because I know you have a relationship with Joe Burrow. You like his game. What are some of the things that you like best about what he does in games in early in his career? Man, I just I I, I think the world of him. I think he's spectacular. Yeah. Um, you just don't see a weakness and, and you see just a maturity to it. You saw a maturity to his game as, as a rookie, his, his very first year there, he did not look like a rookie. He did not make rookie mistakes. You know, he, he at the line of scrimmage right now is doing in year three, going into year four, I believe, and, and doing things that guys in year nine and 10 are just starting to figure out as far as changing things, at the line of scrimmage, redirecting protections, changing from run to pass, pass to run, things he's doing, you know, in a seven-second window after he's broken the huddle and approached the line of scrimmage. You just He's just doing things you don't see. Um, on top of that, he's extremely accurate. He makes incredible, incredibly accurate throws at, you know, in crunch time. Um, and he also can run and, and move around. I mean, he, he's really athletic and shockingly athletic. You know, just thinking back to his LSU days, running around the SEC, getting, you know, 17 yards on third and 15 all the time against Georgia and Alabama yeah. and and all the speed and, and future NFL players that you see in the SEC. So um, I don't think there's something that jumps out at me about his game. It's not like he's really, really good at this. Yeah. Um, I think he's really good at just about everything. There's not something that you go, man, if he just had – X, Y, or Z, he would be a complete player. He's a complete player from the mental aspect of the game, arm strength wise, he can throw to every level of the football field. Um, he's extremely accurate. And like I said, I mean, you go back to to his crunch time abilities and fourth quarter comebacks and, yeah. you know, that, that run at LSU where he tore up every defense in the playoff yeah. Uh, in the college football playoffs. I mean, he he didn't miss, it seemed like. The ball hardly ever touched the ground. So, I mean, he, he's got everything you want to see. Um, it's good to hear the organization. I'm, I'm so happy to see what they've done to protect him. Yes. And what they did in free agency last year, they saw they had a weakness, and they flat out changed it. They said, we're not going to sit and hope that this works out with this play. They went in, and they completely revamped 60% of the offensive line. I mean, that is a bold statement. I think that is why Joe is probably so comfortable right now in a long-term contract negotiation with the Bengals is because he's seen they are committed to yeah. getting better, to spending money, to improving the, the team, but really improve the infrastructure around him to let him flourish, to keep him healthy, to let him play X amount of years. I mean, you need that kind of stability up front. And to see what they did last year uh, and just see the way they've attacked free agency, unlike we've seen in a long time. The last couple of years of free agency, they've been aggressive and they've pulled the checkbook out. So it's been great to see. Um, and I just think you just continue to build around Joe. 
you know, unfortunately, I know they lost a couple guys in free agency, some big time guys on the back end of their defense. But you can replace those guys. I mean, th- yeah. there's ways to do that. And the way you do that is you keep Joe healthy and you let him step up in the pocket and deliver the ball accurately downfield. And the, and when you do that, you've always got a chance with a guy like Joe. Yeah, and they double down and go get uh, the left tackle, Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. and bring him in. So they continue to spend on that offensive line. You know, many of us former players, us former Bengals who are still in town, we all looked around at each other like, what is this? I know. It, it, it's Finally. Old, I, yeah, I tell people it's a Finally. golden age to be a Bengals fan because we had never no seen doubt. this before. No doubt. I mean, it's 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 obvious. They are, they are pursuing a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. typically, Solo, you and I would watch that Super Bowl run and then they kind of go back to, yeah. to, you know, the original. Let's just continue to get better. But they went to the Super Bowl. They got close. They realized they had a hole to fill. And they went out and filled the hole. They didn't hope somebody fell to them in the draft or hope you can get somebody on the cheap late in free agency. They went and attacked free agency. And they did it the year before defensively. So it's just – it's great to see. Um, it's great for Joe, but it's great for for the fans. This this is um, – I think there's an exciting era of the next four or five – or however long you've got, Joe, you've got an exciting future with that team. One last question before we get you out here. It's really a statement, a comment, but kind of – want to get your reaction to because I I find myself um, a few years back just before they drafted uh, Joe Burrow and I'm sitting in the office with Mike Brown and I'm sure you've been in that chair across from him many a times but I you know I was lamenting because you were playing and you had played in Arizona and I said Mike how do we ever let Carson get out of here I said he was clearly the most talented quarterback in franchise history and you know what he said to me? He looked at me and said, you're right. <laughs> I mean, he he fully admitted that you were the one that got away, Carson. So I just want you to know he gave you your full props for in terms of the talent and everything that you meant to this franchise. Well, I appreciate that. I, I mean, like we just talked about, I'm just excited to see they're committing to to winning. Um, they're You know, it sounds like, a deal is going to be done hopefully this off season to, to keep Joe yeah. um, for the long term. Jamar is going to be interesting. T Higgins is going to be interesting. Um, but I mean, as you know, it all starts with, with the quarterback position and, and, yeah. and protecting him and surrounding him. Um, so I, like, like I said, I mean, I'm excited for the future. I think Kansas, I mean, the AFC stack, there's no doubt about it. AFC worries you, but man, You've got the right nucleus with the right kind of experience. Those guys have been to the Super Bowl and lost. That's one of the hardest things you do in all of sports. Yeah. Um, but, man, that hardens you. That toughens you. That that makes you appreciate it. That's so good for the development and the foundation that team is yeah. built upon is having that experience and having that exposure and seeing how sweet it is. So um, I just think the the oh, I hope that the stars are, are aligning and Cincy – um, cause I just think that team has been so close. They were so good last year, so close. And it's just amazing how this game comes down to a handful of plays, but being on the wrong side of that is a great learning experience. It's a great yeah. coaching perspective to give to your players. And as new guys come in, the veterans spread the word and talk about that experience. So really, I, I just think the, the future is extremely bright there. How much does this offense remind you of the group that you had with those receivers, Chad Johnson, T.J. Hushmanzada, Chris Henry, you had mm-hmm. uh, Corey Dillon, Rudy Johnson at running back. Mm-hmm. Oh, you I, you guys were unstoppable. <laughs> and this offense at times 
seem to be much like that one. Yeah, I mean, Joe Mixon's like a perfect cross between Corey Dillon and Rudy Johnson, right? Absolutely. It's like if they had a baby, it would be Joe <laughs> Mixon. Be Joe, not, yeah. not quite as big as, as um, Corey was. Um, you know, a little, a little shorter, a little stockier, but hard to tackle, physical, yes. explosive. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, those are the good old days. Receiving cores, a lot, you know, very, very similar. I am worried losing – um, gosh, who's the running back that they lost in free agency? Yeah, Samaj yeah, Samaje. I mean, he was such a good one-two punch. You can't keep yes. them all. Um, you you got to let some guys go, unfortunately. But man, they historically the Bengals have drafted running backs so well. They have hit on yeah. so many backs year in year out. They might find the next Samaje in the fourth or fifth. Yeah, maybe yeah. later in the round. You 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 can try to go after and look for a big physical yeah. bruiser, but he was just so good in the screen game too. Yeah, um, that's gonna be a tough one to uh, tough one to replace. But um, you got to get Joe taken care of, and it looks like that's hopefully going to be done. Carson, you're the best. We appreciate you joining us on the Believe in Bingo podcast. This draft pre pre draft show here, uh, we greatly appreciate it. You're the best, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Solo, anytime, man. Good catching up. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.